Welcome to the Terry and Jesse show. We've got a great show ahead of us. We're going to be talking uh, with Father Frank Pavone. He'll give us an update on Priests for Life and the work they're doing in saving babies. We're also going to, are you ready for this? We're going to talk about a little boy, six years old, who saved his sister's life. She was only three. How did he do that? Wow, it was inspirational. And I got another great story of a seven-year-old boy who picked up his baby sister when the fire was in the house, and he was the only one that could save the baby, and he did it. So there's some heroic virtue there (laughs) of uh, courage for some young people. We're also going to meet the Catholics in the new Congress. I'm going to give you an idea that actually 28% of the seats in the 118th Congress are Catholics, the largest of any other religious affiliation. But before I get to that, we always like to get to the gospel. Jesse isn't here. We're on we're on the road, so I'm pre-recording this for you guys. We're out in uh, Des Moines, Iowa, on another Catholic radio station out there. We're doing some work out there together. So the gospel for today, Tuesday, is Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 21 to 35. Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owned who owed a huge amount of money. Since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife and his children and all his property, in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, Pay back what you owe me. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had him put in prison until he paid back the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant as I have pity on you? Then, in the anger, his master handed him over to the torturers until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly Father do to you, unless each of you forgive your brother from your heart. 
the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know what this reminds me of? Pope John Paul II, when he was shot, and if you remember that May 13th, 1981, uh, as soon as he was shot, you saw this picture of him just back, leaning back in the, in the uh, Popemobile. They're going to take him to a hospital. And in the ambulance, he writes that this is what I did. I forgave the man who shot me, not knowing if I was going to survive. But I wanted you know, to do that because I wanted to implement the gospel, this gospel we just read. And then, of course... The man who shot St. John Paul II was going to visit, going to visit by John Paul II once he got recovered fully and went to the Italian prison and met with the man. And the man, you can see the picture. If you go back on YouTube, you'll see these. He was moved because the Pope forgave him right there. I mean, this goes a former Muslim and their religion Forgiveness is not even a vocabulary. See, Christianity is different. And I think that's what moved him to actually become a Catholic. And I just say this because the forgiveness that we have to offer is something that, as Christians, it's part of our DNA. Because if we don't forgive, the principle in our faith is God will not forgive you. So if you want to be forgiven, you better start forgiving people. And I know I put out a CD by Dr. Scott Hahn called The Hidden Power of Forgiveness. It's a download today because we're in the modern world. No more CDs. But if you want to get that recording, call 877-526-2151, and I think they can arrange to send that to you. But it's very, very important that we learn how to forgive. Without forgiveness, we have nothing. Also, for your good to know file, I just love this. A little boy, six years old, says, I saved my, my sister. He says, if someone had to die, I thought it should be me. <laughs> I mean, this little six-year-old boy is taking on a charging dog to save his sister. Now, that takes guts. Uh, Bridger is his name. He's um, an internet favorite real-life superhero because the six-year-old became a star online almost overnight after his aunt shared the story of how he saved his little sister from a dog attack. By putting himself in the path of the danger, the young boy had to be reportedly get, are you ready? Not nine stitches. 90 stitches! He's a little boy! After he was bitten several times in his face and neck, and his attempt to protect his sister. A number of celebrities, including like Anne Hathaway and other big people, just said, hey, that a boy, man, I'm proud of you. Well, I'm proud of him. Uh, and I see the picture of him with his arm around his sister, and his face is all torn up from the dog. But you know what? He did it. And I just want to use that as an example of courage, that we can also have courage with our faith, to protect our loved ones. And then, of course, a seven-year-old boy jumps through a window of a burning home to save his baby sister. These are stories that actually took place. He's a seven-year-old boy. 
He risked his life to save his baby sister, and he jumps through the window as the fire raves through their family. Eli's his name. He pulled his 22-month-old sister out of the room after their parents were unable to access the room through the door due to the fire. Can you imagine? He was thinking quick. This was in Tennessee. And I just, I always, I wanted to bring these two stories up because I'm really convinced that when opportunity knocks, we can be virtuous. And that's what happened there. We're going to be giving Father Frank Pavone the opportunity to share what's going on with the pro-life efforts in the church and what we can do to help protect the unborn, which is so important. One more little story before I break. This is a priest who had polio. And he, when he was, went into the seminary, he got a rare disease of polio. It's like only 58,000 cases in the United States. And uh, he was in the seminary. And fortunately, he was ordained December 5th, 1975. Within a couple years of his ordination, his father fell ill and died. And uh, he actually had a ministry in the hospital. He could barely move his arm, okay? But he loved, uh, you know, ministering to people who suffered. And that was his point. We're all going to suffer. But Father knew, Father Charles Cram, was at the Hughes Youth Memorial Hospital. And he was a full-time chaplain there. And he would visit people who were suffering. And he said... You know, I uh, I wanted to be there to be Christ to those people. And then a, a, another uh, group, they started to call it the Father Charles Kramer Project, said about documenting his life because they were hoping that someday the Catholic Church could declare him a saint. So now he's ministering, even though in death, to the next chaplains that are in there, so a permanent deacon, and he's modeling his ministry after Father Charles Cram. And I just think, again, it's inspirational. That's why we have to have models. We have to have people, mentors in our life. And the saints are that for us. I believe Fulton Sheen is uh, for Jesse and Terry, myself. Bishop Sheen is our model. What would Fulton Sheen do in this case? And that's what we keep asking ourselves. After the break, we have Father Frank Pavone, and then I'm going to give you a little meditation for Lent. Because Lent is a time when we need to try and get closer to God. And a lot of it comes down to this uh, growing closer to Christ, especially in eradicating sin from our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about after Father Frank. Because, you know, this is the number one culprit. It's sin. Remember, the Holy Father said that the worst thing is the world isn't sin. It's the denial of sin. And that's what we can't deny. All right, folks, we'll be back with Father Frank Pavone, our priest for life, to talk about how we can protect the unborn babies and what to do with that. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. We have our good friend Father Frank Pavone from Priest for Life with us, giving us an update and how we can protect the unborn. Father Frank, welcome again to the Terry and Jesse Show. Hey, it's good to be with you, uh, Terry, and with our great audience. Amen. And you know, Father, before we start, I always love this statement. Never worry about 
Who will be offended if you speak the truth? Worry about who will be misled, deceived, and destroyed if you don't speak the truth. That's right. And I'm thinking of the unborn babies. We've got to tell people the truth. And the truth is, there's life in the womb. And that's why I call on you once a month to give us an update on how we can better protect the unborn. What's the latest in the sense of what's going on and what can we do to help protect those babies? Well, two things come to mind. You know, I've been, uh, I was just at a couple of state marches out in Arizona over just over the last couple of weeks, Arizona March for Life in California, the California March for Life in, in Sacramento, and then coming up on the Connecticut State March for Life. Now, the reason I mention these is that people need to be tuned in to what kind of marches and rallies are being held near them. Mm. Uh, Many of states, many cities, it might be just counties. And this is organized, by the way, by all kinds of different groups. Some of them have been doing it for decades. Others are just starting up now. Uh, States will have sometimes multiple marches headed by multiple groups. What matters is that we get out there and express our pro-life conviction publicly. It's not enough for it to be uh, a private conviction. Think of think of Eucharistic processions yeah. or rosary processions, for example. You know, we already believe privately, or we go to mass, or we go to rosaries. But bringing it out onto the streets, Amen. Not only reminds others about these things that that we believe in, right. it strengthens our own convictions about Amen. it. Yeah. So, getting involved in that, number one. And number two, uh, there are big battles on the horizon. Mm. I want to mention the state of Ohio. Any listeners in Ohio, please be aware the pro-abortion forces are trying to put abortion into your state constitution. It doesn't belong there. It doesn't belong in any constitution. But that battle is on South Dakota. You have a battle going on. Well, again, uh, there's going to be, I think, Terry, about 11 states or so uh, this this year and next year they're going to try to do what was already done in Michigan and 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 uh, California, these extreme policies, be alert to that. And uh, when local groups or, or or your church mentions to you, hey, you have to sign this petition drive or or <clears throat> you know get out there and and fight this this ballot initiative, please pay attention to those things because this is going to be right now uh, a big part of the battle. Right. And, you know, even in Utah, I understand the governor, Spencer Cook, plans to sign a pro-life law that could functionally eliminate abortion. Mm. Well, that's good news. You're not oh, yes, now. that's yeah. right. And the, we've got the states going in opposite directions right now. Well, what, you know? What's the story in Michigan? I mean, it seems like they're really uh, they're like California in one sense. They want yeah. to make abortion kind of like abortion illegal like California. Is that, is that true that Michigan is really pushing that hard? To, to, to make abortion, well, they did, they got yeah. this, you know, they got the wrong governor is yeah. what it boils down to. It's not that the people want this stuff. Oh, the governor is horrible. Uh, the governor is horrible. And um, no, this is what happens. Uh, you get the wrong people in office and it has consequences, but they passed this uh, in the midterm election just now, this proposal. Yes. And, and these things are very deceptive. Yes. We have got to focus on working through the legislative process, there you not go. ballot initiatives. There you go. Ballot initiatives. 
and we may have discussed this yep. uh, at, at some point in the past, but you know, it's like, it's the reason we have the electoral college when we vote for president, because otherwise all the elections would be won just by the populations of Los Angeles and New York City. Right. You know, it sways the whole country. Right. So similarly with these ballot initiatives, you mm -hmm. can have most of the state voting the right way. And then you've got these big uh, urban areas that, you know, the pro-aborts whip their people yeah. up to a frenzy and it, it pulls the whole state in the wrong direction. The other thing is that ballot initiatives are not subject to the intense scrutiny that the legislative process subjects you to right. with hearings and, you know, analysis and back and forth and questions and amendments. And, and, and you know, it's a much more thorough process to make sure people understand what they're voting for. Um, all of this is very, very important to keep in mind. Father, you talk about voting. I know this is shocking, but, you know, we're two years or less than two years from having another national uh, election. Yeah. Are you kidding me? It seems like, and, and yeah. let's, let's just be honest, uh, you and I are old guys. We remember 1980, and I remember when Ronald Reagan had an ad. He said, were you better off four years ago? And right. obviously they weren't, and it was a very effective ad. I want to just say to the babies, were they better off with this last administration, the Trump administration? I'm not saying he's perfect, because nobody's perfect unless you're Jesus Christ or the Blessed Mother. But were the babies better off with a president who brought in three different Supreme Court judges? They voted for the pro-life efforts. That's how Roe versus Wade got overturned by this last administration. So I asked the question, were the babies better off, Father? What you what what you say? The babies are better off because of what happened in those four years. Because a lot of times it has a delay a delay factor, like you just said. Yeah. So President Trump put those three justices on the court, and by the way, he predicted that if he if he got to put three just two or three justices on the court, he predicted that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. He said it in October of 2016, wow. and. Um, because it has that 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 delay effect, you know, Biden gets in right in yeah. 2021. But meanwhile, those justices were already hearing the case right. uh, of of uh, what was going to result in the uh, the reversal of Roe v. Wade. So we've got uh, it, there's no question, you know, under under President Trump, much less money was going into the abortion industry. Yeah. Uh, Planned Parenthood lost their Title X money. They had to drop out of the program. Exactly. Um, you know, and internationally, we weren't exporting abortion or paying for it overseas. Uh, a lot of stuff was going on that was favorable to the unborn. There's a lot of executive policies that people don't notice them in the headlines. Yeah. Uh, but behind the scenes, they... Um, they protect the unborn in many different ways. The Title X was one example of that. Just by executive authority to enforce the existing laws, um, the, 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 the babies are helped. And also, you know who was better off, too? Tell me, tell me. Doctors and nurses who don't want to do abortions. Oh, yeah, exactly. So, for example, you know, President Trump had, you know, a strong enforcement of conscience protection. Exactly. Uh, an entire office where people could complain. So there was this situation of this nurse in Vermont who didn't want to participate in an abortion and the, the institution, the medical institution forced her to do so anyway, even though they knew she was objecting. Wow. And uh, the, 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 the President Trump's administration actually stepped in in that situation 
and said to that institution, you have got to respect the conscience rights of this woman. We want you to work it out. They gave them plenty of time to work it out. And then when they didn't, they say, okay, we're going to give you financial penalties now. Yes. I mean, the, the, the Biden administration just the opposite. completely reversed all yeah, that. Just the opposite. Yeah. So, yes, they were far better off under President Trump, uh, they'll be far better off under a Republican administration that we can elect in 2024. Father Frank, how can people support you and tell us in a minute or two we have left about other ministries and uh, give us websites and how they can better uh, protect the unborn? Well, you know, this this question of what can I do to protect yeah. the unborn, you know, we have a special website, 10stepstoendabortion.com. Right. And you could put either the word or the number 10. It'll go to the same place. And and, and I, I'd like to point people there, very practical steps, 10stepstoendabortion.com. 10, 10 Take a look at that, everybody, yeah. and, 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 and choose at least one of those things to deepen your pro-life involvement. Uh, as far as supporting us on that page or on our main page, endabortion.us, you'll see the donate button. You can support us that way. You can sign up for our emails. You can get involved in our prayer campaigns and, and, and use our resources. So endabortion.us is the overall website. And you'll also see there, as we always discuss, lots of healing right. opportunities yeah, and forgiveness for those that have had abortions. Father, one of the questions, Joe Scheidler wrote a book, 99 Ways to Close an Abortion Clinic. And one of the yeah. ways he said is just praying in front of a clinic, someone being there praying and offering women alternatives. That cuts a large percentage of the babies. Now, Father uh, Peter Irving over at Holy Innocence, just last Saturday, they saved eight babies. The parish has a pro-life group. They're very supportive of Priest for Life. They saved eight babies last Saturday. That's um, I got I got the numbers, like 1,740 babies since they started like eight, nine years ago. But they're there every weekend to pray and offer women alternatives. Do you agree that that's a very effective way to stop the killing of unborn babies? Oh, it's it's it's. I'll tell you what, it's no. guaranteed. You show up, you're yeah. going to save lives. You may or may not know about the life that was saved, yeah. but I'll tell you a story. I was tell standing me. one time with a sign of, a, of, a, of an aborted baby, and, and uh, this young couple drives up in their car. They're about to turn into the driveway of the killing center, and they stopped right in the middle of the street, and they're looking at this sign. I'm standing like three feet uh, away from the car, and their mouths drop open and their eyes open up and they said, I can't do that to my baby. Wow. And we actually brought them to the nearby pregnancy Great. center right there on the spot. Janet was with me, Janet Morana. Yeah. And it was like, friends, that's how easy it was. We didn't even have to say anything. Yeah. We just showed the sign and they stopped. I can't do that to my baby. Friends, go out there to these places. Yep. You will save lives. You will. Guaranteed. Father, we only have a minute left. I, I really appreciate you taking the time. One more time about your ministries and websites that can support the unborn, especially, and I just want to say, I know this is not a political program, but we do need to be, Catholics need to vote with their moral conscience. Yes. Um, what about for the election? What can people do to try and support the unborn through our vote? They can they can sign up for our training seminars. We have online training seminars right from where you're watching right now, friends, on the very devices that you're watching yep, on. Yep. You can join our 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 our, our Zoom calls for right. for election training. Go to prolifevolunteer.com, prolifevolunteer.com. Sign up and and we'll train you to make a difference in your local communities. And uh, uh, that'll be another great thing you can do. Thank you. And this is Lent right now, so a little bit of a sacrifice is a good thing, right? 
So yes. if you're uncomfortable going to the clinic, make it you know, say say a little prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. Ask Jesus for the grace to be bold to be there. And you know you don't even have to say a word. The others that are there, they usually have a one or two people who will actually dialogue. But your prayer support and that will be an effective way to participate. You know, just as we're recording right now, I have a mother who just texted me that we've been helping, and now she wants to. She says, I, I can't, I, I've given her money, we've given her support, and now she says, I'm ready to have the baby adopted. I just can't deal, I can't, I'm not emotional, I'm not stable enough to support that baby. I want it to have a nice home. And when we're done, I will call her, and I've got the attorneys to do it. There are so many families that can't have ch- children that are waiting in the list. So I just want to say, Priest for Life, good, good supporting group to do. And Father Frank, next month we'll get another update here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thanks again, Father, for the decades of work that I've seen you do to protect the unborn. I don't know of another priest in my life, and I know lots of priests in pro-life work who are doing the work you're doing. May God richly bless you. And we'll be back with more on the Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. You know, I forgot to bring the smartest guy into the room. Full Sheen ahead. And here's what Bishop Sheen has to say about Christianity is not a system of ethics. It is a way of life. It is not good advice. It is divine adoption. Bishop Sheen says being a Christian does not consist in just being kind to the poor are going to church, singing hymns, are serving on the parish committees, though it includes all of these. This is the the nuts and bolts right here. It says, it is first and foremost a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I bring this up to you because we have to have that close relationship with Christ through prayer. I can't think of a better place than before the Blessed Sacrament. All right. I wanted to mention, this obviously is Lent. And during Lent, as I mentioned earlier, we're trying to go closer to Christ. Right. Especially by eradicating sin from our lives and strengthening ourselves against temptation. It can be helpful for us to consider how irrational it is to commit sin. Never heard somebody say it that way, huh? Every sin darkens our intellect and weakens our will. Fortunately, this isn't only a one-way street since the practice of virtue does the opposite. See, it's black and white Catholicism here, folks. The fundamental reason for these effects of sin is that by sin, we knowingly and willingly do something that is bad for us contrary to the purpose of our existence and leading to our unhappiness. You know, I laugh because our sexual revolution that went on was promising great success. But we've got more suicide and more unhappy people because we threw God out. So every sin we do, something is like being stupid that panders to our weakness. 
Let us consider our first sin of Adam and Eve to the highlight this point. Right? Remember in Genesis, the, the devil tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, telling her that if she and Adam eat of this fruit of the tree that God has forbidden, they would be as gods. Read it. It's in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. Well, did our Lord call the devil the father of lies? Oh, yeah. Every temptation that comes to us, whether it be from the world, the flesh, or the devil, they're all lies because it offers us happiness or satisfaction by committing sin. That's what the world keeps telling us. Fornicate more. Adultery. You'll be happy. No. But we are created for God. And the only true happiness, our lasting satisfaction that is possible for us is in following the purpose of our existence. God. See, everybody's going, well, where am I going to find my peace? Only in God. How was the temptation to eat the fruit and to be as God's such an outrageous lie? Well, God has given Adam and Eve certain preternatural gifts. Probably that word preternatural has to be explained. They were gifts that we had before the fall. We didn't have to study a language. Everything came to us naturally. So that's what preternatural means. So he created them, namely special knowledge, freedom from concupiscence, our interior conflict, concupiscence is sin, and immorality, our freedom from death. But of even greater importance, God had given Adam and Eve the supernatural gifts of sanctifying grace. That's the life of God in us. The theological and moral virtues, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the great gift of sanctifying grace, meaning that they were of friends of God and participated in his divine life and nature. In a very real way, Adam and Eve were as gods before their sin. But the sin would change all that by causing them to lose these gifts. After the sin, their intellects were darkened. Their wills were weakened. They were subject to suffering and death. And worst of all, they lost the virtues, gifts, and even sanctifying grace. Furthermore, whereas before they had the great dignity of being a son and daughter of God, and participating in his divine life, they were now subject to creatures. Wow, we lost a lot. They voluntarily cast away their dignity, serving the devil, following the suggestion of the temptation, and becoming subject to concupiscence. The trajectory of their lives changed from the beatific vision to the pains of hell. Wow, one end to the other. Indeed, there was never such an extreme lie as you will be as gods. Although we do not possess preternatural gifts from Adam and Eve, they did, every soul in the state of grace possesses supernatural gifts, and by mortal sin, these gifts are thrown away, and the person goes from being a child of the friend of God, to a servant of some person, pleasure 
or object. And because we know what is God's will, and we know that we will be happier and reach out to the fullest potential of doing his will, but choose sin instead, we do something irrational, harmful for both our intellect and will. This is why, if you haven't gone to confession for Lent, this would be a great time to get to confession because this is the sacrament of love and it can restore you back into the good graces with our Lord. So I want to encourage you to do that. Now I'd like to take the rest of the show here to talk about the Catholics and the new Congress. Who are they? What, what can we, you know, we pray for our leaders in the government. We've got some real problems in the government, really, especially when it comes to the unborn. But here's the, here's the kicker. It's, more, it's a bit of a scandal that Catholics comprise 28% of the seats in the 118th Congress, the largest of any religious affiliation. But here's the question. How are these Catholics voting? Yeah. We re- this is a review of the scorecard of the incumbent representatives and senators as tallied by the National Right to Life, the two most authoritative sources measuring congressional support for the life for the right to life. And we have come up with this. There are sixty-five, right, Democrats who claim Catholic identity in the House of Representatives. Now fifty-four of whom have a perfect pro killing abortion record. Yeah, so most of them, even though they're baptized Catholic, vote to kill unborn babies. That's the first scandal in the Congress. They're, they're, they're Catholic by name only, and that's a tragedy. Of the 56, uh, let me explain this, all 10 of the newly elected members are pro-abortion camp. So all the Democrats that got elected 10 out of 10 recently are all for killing unborn babies. Now, of the 56 Republicans who claim a Catholic identity, 48 have a perfect pro-life voting record. Well, that's nice to know. You know, I mean, they're not perfect, but they, uh, you know, 48 out of 56 have a perfect pro-life voting record. One has a mostly pro-life record. And seven newly elected members espouse to the pro-life position. So it's really divided pretty much by the two parties. One in their platform. You can look at the Democratic platform as their principle that they stand on. It's right there, killing unborn babies. Now, they don't use that word, unborn babies. They call it choice. And then if you look at the Republican platform, what they believe, sanctity of life. Now, not every congressperson holds on to the policy of the representative that they represent, but generally they do. So 48 out of the 56 are pro-life in the Republican position. That means that 98% of the Catholic House of Democrats are pro-abortion 
and 100% of the Catholic House Republicans are mostly pro-life. The lines are pretty drawn, but I wanted you to be aware of this because I'm going to come back from the break and give you some more statistics on the Catholics in the, in the government who are really denying their Catholic faith. And as I said, you know, they act like God doesn't exist, that, you know, the government is the God. Well, that's just not the case. Now, in the Senate, it's a different story. Are you ready? There are 15 Catholic Democrats, 12 of them who have a perfect pro-abortion record. Now, that's interesting. Three don't, so that's good. <clears throat> of the 11 Catholic Republicans, seven have a perfect pro-life record. What does that mean? 80% of Catholic senator Democrats are pro-abortion for killing unborn, and 100% of Catholic Senate Republicans are pro-life. Now, how did I figure that one out? Well, these are the statistics because they vote. That's how we know. And this information should really make you conscious when it comes to voting where to vote for. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just giving you the facts. We need to vote pro-life because that's what Jesus would do. Remember I said that earlier? gotta vote with our moral conscience according to the gospel that we've been receiving from the apostles. Stay with us. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse. We'll have more on meeting the Catholics in the new Congress. Right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Thanks for joining us here, family. We've been talking about meeting Catholics in the new Congress. I'm going to tie this into praying for the politicians, but also for our church leaders. And I'm going to quote from Pope Pius X that's probably going to knock you off your horse. But as I was mentioning, that 80% of the Catholic Senate are Democrats are pro-abortion and 100% of the Catholic state Republicans are pro-life. So in the last two years, both parties have become more entrenched in their positions. Even people known to be more moderate on these issues venture closer to their party's extreme. For example, Lisa Murawski of Alaska and Susan Collins of Maine, they moved more to the pro-life camp. Thanks be to God. However, moving in the opposite direction was Joe Manchin of West Virginia. He had a perfect pro-life rating in the 116th Congress, but dropped down to a 67% score in the last Congress. Wow, right at the end of his time, and he's, he's compromising. We pray for Joe. Wow, wow. Similarly, in the House, Jeff Van Drew, Republican, became more pro-life after leaving the Democratic Party. Praise God. Henry Sheilar, a Democrat from Texas, who was widely seen as the last pro-life Democrat in the House, earned a higher score from Naira and a lower score from the National Right to Life. Does this mean that Catholics, Republicans, are better Catholics than Catholic Democrats? On the issue that the bishops regard as the preeminent issue of our time, namely abortion, 
Absolutely. It certainly does. It must be said, however, that as the true measure of one's Catholic status, one's voting record on one issue is not necessarily uh, depositive. Some argue that a congressman's record on social justice issues is more accurate gauge of his Catholicity. The problem with that contention is that it is much more difficult to make comparisons on such matters. Catholics who favor more government welfare programs contend that their position is better aligned with the church teachings. Yet Catholics who oppose more government dependency and maintain that they are more faithful to the church teachings of the poor you know, climate change is another issue that is difficult to score. Ultimately, whether one is a good Catholic depends on the factors of more intimate nature. But it's not wrong to suggest that elected Catholic officials who maintain a decidedly pro-abortion voting record are an embarrassment to the Catholic Church. They most certainly are. After all, The right to life is the most fundamental of our natural rights. This is not an observation. It's a fact of life. And I think of President Biden, Catholic. I mean, he talks about him being a good Catholic. Well, no, I have to say that Joe Biden is not a practicing Catholic. He rejects the moral teachings of the church. Most people who are called themselves pro-choice do not support abortion on demand and indeed favor restrictions on when and why a woman should be able to abort her child. But there are some extremists, like President Biden, who want no restrictions. There are even some who really love abortion. Yeah, I've met people like that. Well, I just want to leave on this point that we need to pray for our leaders, our political leaders, because They need our prayers. And now I want to shift gears to our church leaders. And I think of what Pope Pius X said. He said this 80 years ago as a shepherd. In one sense, Jess and myself are shepherds for our listeners in our homes as fathers. So this applies not to just the Pope, the bishops, cardinals, everyone. The Holy Father, Pope Pius X, said, How I tremble to think that souls can be punished for all eternity on the account of the negligence of their pastor. That innocent people can be led from the path of truth because the words of the inspired text were never preached to them and that the spirit of the world and of our time especially, should pour into ill-instructed minds for want of a firm hand to check its tide. I have a sacred duty to defend the truth openly, for God will ask me to render account for all those souls who have strayed into the way of perdition. When I read that the first time, It made me really think of sins of omission. 
where I've kept quiet when I shouldn't have, where I needed to speak, you know, the truth in charity, and I just said, oh, I don't want to because maybe they're not going to want to hear this. Well, this is why we need to speak out in the church today because there's been a lack of catechesis. And one of the things that we're doing here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, you're going to laugh when I tell you this, you know this book? It's called The Baltimore Catechism, number four. It's published by Tan. That's a textbook we're going to be teaching next month here at our chapel to not only cradle Catholics, but to potential converts. So if you know someone who's thinking about becoming a Catholic, send them our way, because we're going to cover the Baltimore Catechism, number four, which is for adults. We're going to take Archbishop Fulton Sheen's Life is Worth Living, the Convert Course series of 50 half-hour shows, and instruct Catholics and non-Catholics on the fundamentals of the Catholic faith. We are convinced here at Virgin Most Powerful that we need to go back to the basics because we've seen how many Catholics don't know much about the religion. And, you know, here we have Bishop Joseph Strickland on Tuesdays after the Terry and Jesse show. He takes the catechism every week and teaches out of it, which I wish every bishop would do that. It would be awesome because, let's be honest, we're living in times of mass confusion. So how do you keep your faith and your sanity in this present darkness uh, that we find ourselves in? Well, I'm going to give you a couple pointers right now. Number one, focus on your personal walk with the Lord, your prayer life, got to have a prayer life, your interior life, yep, your sacramental life. They must be strong. That's number one. Are you praying every day? Are you receiving the sacraments on a regular basis? Stronger than ever, or you are useless to the mystical body of Christ. If you have to, if you're not going to participate, you're not a help. Come on, get with the program. Number two, focus on the domestic church. What is that? Your spouse, your children, your grandchildren. Continue to inform them, evangelize them catechize them, encourage them, pray for them. We must save our families beyond anything else. That's the first order of business. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, and Acts 16 to 31. And this is one that we all do. I mean, some people say, oh, that's your personality, Jesse and Terry. No, be an influencer. Everybody has certain networks, certain specific social contacts, a unique family and set of friends. Evangelize, catechize, inform, and encourage them in their faith walk. Model of life of virtue. Teach them how to vote to promote the common good and the culture of life. We talked about that with Father Frank Pavone. The next one. Don't be discouraged by the enormity of the task that lies ahead. Mother Teresa, St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, recognized that her efforts and those of her fellow sisters of charity were, in her own words, our efforts are a drop in a vast ocean of need. But she never wavered, 
and her legacy lives on today. I think this is why we can say, well, I'm the only one person. So what? Do what you can. God's will is manifested moment by moment as long as we're staying faithful in our duties and our state in life. And that's how you do God's will. What is my duty today? To serve my wife, serve my family. This is where I get virtue. This is where I get my meaning in life because I'm here to be served, not to be served. And then don't be discouraged by the enormity of the task that lies ahead of us, right? You know, I'm only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. Attitude of gratitude is welcome just about everywhere. What can I do? I ought to do. And what I ought to do, by the grace of God, I will do. Stay the course. Use your talents for God. Do your best. Stay in your lane. In other words, stay where you're growing right now in your family. Don't be changing lanes. And at the end of the day, remember, God is in control. He's not asleep on the wheel. <laughs> this is his world. He loves everybody on this planet. This is his Catholic Church and his divine providence is guiding the church through these rough waters for a final victory. It doesn't look very good, does it? But it will be. Remember the great Saint Pope, Saint Padre Pio, when he said, pray, hope, and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful, and he will hear your prayers. And I recall a story about Saint Pope John XXIII having done what he could during the working hours of the day. And then he said, as it ended, each day with a simple eight-word prayer, it's your church, I'm going to bed. <laughs> Remember that. Don't take all the problems of the church and the country on your shoulders. Give them to God. He's got bigger shoulders, and he will be up all night anyway. If Jesse was here, I'd say, Jess, what state should we be living in? He'd say, state of grace, Terry. How do we do that? I get into confession on a regular basis. And then, of course, I'd say, Jess, don't forget, Our Lady of Fatima said, souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices for them. Are we willing to step up to the plate today? It's a Tuesday. Let's pray and make sacrifices. Let's make everything a sacrifice. Let's give it all to Jesus. And then our life has meaning and purpose. I want to thank you for supporting us here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. May God richly bless you and your family. God love you.